Well, I grew up in Texas and I went to college in Kansas. So I lived in the same house for 18 years and then drove like two or three states away and was in Kansas City, the Kansas side of it, Olathe, Kansas, worked at a church in Paola, Kansas. And it was my first time away from home. And I dealt with probably a lot of the things a lot of our college uh, students are dealing with their first year. Maybe you remember this, whether it was college or maybe just your first apartment or your first time by yourself. You're a little bit homesick and a little bit excited at the same time. And as that semester kind of went on and we got into October, I had built a, a high school career. You worked so hard for four years to kind of get to the top of whatever you consider the top. And now I, I was at the bottom, had gone from hero to zero. And so I was at the bottom of everything, everything I tried out for, everything I was a part of, I was at, wait your turn, you know, wait your turn. Then me, I was, you know, especially the victim of the Lonely Hearts Club because the co-eds had rejected me over and over and over again. And so I, I was dealing with rejection and I was just missing things about home. And then on top of that, I wasn't really questioning God, but I was questioning some of the religious practices that, that maybe I had grown up under. And that was a healthy questioning. And all of this, there, there were probably other things in, in that narrative that was just all in my mind. And it was during that season, I, I was outside a lot. I, my schedule dictated that I would be outside a lot, especially as the days got shorter and the sun began to set. And I would see there in Kansas the most beautiful sunsets. And it was the first time in my life that I had began to notice creation. I was kind of forced into some some bit of isolation, and then also uh, it was a coming of age, it was a maturation where I was able to notice things I didn't notice before. And it was around that time I discovered our text for today, Psalm 19, and it's meant so much to me ever since because it talks about the glory of God being in the sky. Before we dig into that, I want to talk to you about the glory of God. I told you that the title of my message was Increasing God's Glory in Me. There's no way we could actually make God's glory greater because his glory is incomparable. So God's glory is something way beyond us. We don't increase God's glory. We don't compartmentalize God's glory. Uh, we don't improve God's glory. God's glory is completely disconnected to us. It stands alone by itself and it's great and it's something to discover and to have a lifelong relationship and discovery of. And so this title, Increasing God's Glory in Me, that's not the most exciting title in the world, is it? It's not real trendy. I couldn't connect it to like a new series on Netflix or a new movie out. I was like, this is a bad title, Increasing God's Glory in Me. It's like a 1952 title. It's not a current 2018 title, but it's informative because what it says is this, is that though we cannot change God's glory because it's unchangeable, it's separate, it's distant in a positive way, we can increase the glory of God in us. We can have more of his glory, not that his glory has increased, 
but it has increased in us and in our capacity to allow his glory. So what is his glory? In fact, I, I thought about this and, and maybe I need to do a series on the glory of God as I, I thought through this, but here's a kind of theological definition and it's in your notes, it's on you version. The glory of God is the sum of his perfections. Okay, well that, that sounds really kind of official and academic, doesn't it? The sum of his perfections. But let, let's break this down. This is like everything good about God all together. So the God who loves, the God who's powerful, the God who's gentle, the God who's kind, and the God who's merciful, and the God who is just, all of that is rolled up and summed up, and that is the glory of God. The glory of God is the essence. It's everything that God is. And so now we we may have a more powerful emotion or feeling when we hear this title, increasing God's glory in me. I want more of God in me. Now here's a real layman's easy definition. That's I need those in my life, okay? You can say the glory of God is like the side effect of God. It's like the fact that we've been around God and just something off of him comes onto us. You can maybe even say an aftertaste of God, which seems strange to say until you remember what the scripture says, taste and see that the Lord is good. Give God a try, give God a taste, just just kind of connect with God in some way to access his glory because his glory is the sum of everything that he is. And here's what God's saying, that, that there is an increase of his glory in our life and the Psalm 19 is going to show us that. So here's the first thing that we'll see from Psalm 19. Beth read this Psalm as our call to worship in, in this particular translation that she chose. But go ahead and write down the first point. God... God's creation reveals his glory. Now, let me reconnect us to the opening story of me seeing the sunsets. You heard Beth talk about in worship today about her and her father going out at night and seeing the stars. Look what Psalm 19 says about this, starting with verse one. The heavens declare the glory of God and the expanse proclaims the work of his hands. Day after day, they pour out speech. Night after night, they communicate knowledge. There is no speech. There are no words. Their voice is not heard. Their message has gone out to the whole earth and their words to the end of the world. In the heavens, he has pitched a tent for the sun. I love verse five, the poetic words here. It's like a bridegroom coming from his home. It rejoices like an athlete running a course. It rises from one end of the heavens and circles to the other end. Nothing is hidden from its heat. Guys, this is what the scripture is telling us, that the sky itself, the sun, declares to you the sum of the greatness of who God is. Now, some of you may miss this at this point, because you're looking for something like a little more edgy, you're looking for an angle to Psalms 19 that you've never heard before. You're hoping that I tell you a Hebrew word that I pronounce very fast and confidently and rapidly so you will never know if that's the correct pronunciation or not. If you say it fast enough and confident enough, no one knows the difference except if there's a Hebrew scholar here and I don't know of anyone. This is what you may miss. 
is that every single day of your life, God's speaking through the skies. This is a gift to you. This is a gift to you. I mean, a lot of times people say, I don't hear God. I don't hear his voice. God doesn't speak to me. Look up. Look around. If you, if you want him to speak to you, the sky itself and that star we know as the sun and then the countless stars beyond are speaking God's glory. Here we have a temptation to be dismissive of creation because unfortunately we have in the culture wars been polarized to think that people who care for creation are somehow not vigorous Christians, are bibliocentric Christians, are, are somehow have some kind of hidden agenda to diminish the greatness of God, our traditional Christianity. And that polarization is incorrect because if you look into the scripture, uh, the, the people who, who God moved through who cared for the earth. They, at the very beginning, Adam and Eve were stewards of the earth. Creation itself, all of ecology, the interaction between uh, mankind and animals, uh, the seasons, uh, God sending his rain, God sending, uh, allowing famine to happen, uh, what God did in the fields, what God did in the mountains, what God does in the streams, what God does in the skies. God is speaking through all of that. And somehow we're just like disconnecting God from the stuff that's happening, happening all around us. And sometimes unbelievers instinctively see God in creation. And we as evangelical Christians are like, hey, I don't, that's not for, we're, we're, we don't care about creation. <laughs> you know, that, that's wimpy Christianity. Give me only, you know, give me like a really sweaty preacher who sprays spit. That's the glory of God. Ladies and gentlemen, I am that man. So I can make fun of that man. God's redeeming the earth. And so great, I want you to see this. It's not because I'm trying to make any backdoor statement here. I, I'm not, I, I, I'm, I'm straight up with you. I'll be straight up with you. I, I'm giving you a very simple point. Look up, God's speaking to you through the sky. Creation is subservient to God. This is not pantheism. Pantheism says, oh, well, yeah, God is the sky. No, God is not the sky. He's the maker of the sky. God's the maker of the universe. Let's not be confused here. And maybe our fear of confusion has, has hindered us from enjoying nature. You guys who are hunters and gals who are hunters, you've got it right. You, you, you tell everyone that you're out there to shoot game, but you're just really hanging out in creation. It's like a convenient excuse to disappear for days at a time. I'm going to get some camo and an unloaded gun and just go sit in a deer stand somewhere. Everyone will think I'm macho and manly when I just want to sit there and meditate on creation. So that's how that works. Disney World is a man-made creation. And as your pastor who loves you, I want to set you free right now. Disney World is a ripoff, guys. <laughs> now, I know that disturbs some of you Disney people. So I'm testing you right now. I hope that do not leave this church because I criticize Disney World. Just don't do that. Come up with another excuse at least. 
And I hope you love your pastors more than Mickey Mouse, right? I hope you love us more than Mickey and Minnie. And so I can, I can step on Disney's toes. But in full disclosure, I had the privilege of going to Disney. I've been to Disney World three times, and, and that's three times enough for me. And so it's not in my future. And one year, and I'll have to say this, is I was looking forward to go to Epcot, but Abby taught Beth into being in the American Idol experience about 2010, right? And man, she won that thing, guys. I mean, it, she just, she killed it, man. All these people who were actually trying, she went up there, and, and, you know, she was beautiful, you know, but she went up there in her, her um, I don't know what you're wearing, but it looked good, whatever it was. But, <laughs> but there were some, some young girls, like all dolled up, ready to sing. She just went up there and her mom went and just belted it out and she won that whole contest. So we, I say that because we missed Epcot that year. So I went back to Epcot and I'm gonna get back focused here. And Epcot works out for me because I'm not good at subtleties, right? I don't really under, when change happens, like stuff happens and I don't really under, I'm a little bit slow. I don't understand changes. And so I get lost at amusement parks and don't know where we're at and they, you know, meet me in Wonderland. I don't know where Wonderland is. I don't know, but Epcot's real easy because you're like in China, then in Mexico, then in Germany. I can, I can understand that. And when I'm in Mexico, I can get a burrito. And when I'm in, I'm in Germany, I can get a bratwurst. And when I'm in Canada, I can get whatever Canadians eat. Cheese, I don't know. I don't know what Canadians eat. Cheese soup, that's what I eat in Canada. So all of that went good. So that, that, that was part of our past, and, and Epcot was okay. It was pretty good. Um, and so I knew where I was. Last year, we went to Kings Island in Cincinnati because it was kind of a Kings Island budget type of year. Stay with grandma and go to Kings Island. I've got a daughter to send to college. We're not going back to Disney World. We're going to Kings Island and staying at grandma's. And it's actually cool. There's lots of roller coasters and so forth there. But they have all kinds of sections in Kings Island. I don't know where I am there. There's the Action Zone, Rivertown, Coney Mall. It's just like one big blend. I mean, how can you tell the difference? So we got lost a lot. And as a family, we're trying to figure out where to go. And so Beth is really great at technology. So she gets the phone out. She's looking there. Uh, Lincoln, he's getting lost because that's what he does. He just has his head in the clouds humming and singing. And he's just getting lost. I won't name my other teenagers, but one of them was singing. And the other, he just had his arms crossed. I think it's like our bodyguard. So, so, so we're, we're just, we just don't get our act together. So I humbled myself as a spirit, the spiritual authority in our family. I did something that you never want to do at, amuse, at an amusement park is I actually took the map, like the map that unfolds with cartoon pictures on it. And that was an act of humility because it worked because you could just see the Eiffel Tower and you could see the sections and you could figure out where everything was. And so sometimes you, you have to get out a map so you know where you're going. Now, I, I'm gonna give you a metaphor. It's, it's hard when you talk about the scripture, there's all types of metaphors, the map, the guide, all of those don't honor the scripture enough because the scripture has substance on it. It has presence on it. It has power on it. So we say, well, it's a, it's a manual. The, you know, the, the Bible is our life manual or the Bible's our instruction book. All of those types of, of comparisons are limited. But I'm gonna use one anyway because once I got the map out, there was more direction 
And there was more instruction and there was more information. And guess what we had? We had more fun because we knew where we were going. And so we think about scripture is that here's your second point today. God's word imparts his glory. God's word imparts his glory. And if you allow me to take this limited illustration and make a connection, better information, more instruction, more direction, more glory of God. We cannot experience the sum of who God is if we don't know who God is. And we cannot create who we want God to be through vain imagination. That's what all of culture is doing. They're trying to create God as if he's Santa Claus. And so we're just going to accommodate God to our culture, what we need. He's not a mythical character. Uh, God is uh, a very presence that is, has always existed and he has revealed his very distinct personality through scripture. And if I'm frank with you, some things about God's personality I don't understand. And some things about God's personality can even trouble me. But it lets me know that the revelation is not an invention. It's, it's a revelation of who God is. I adapt to God. God does not adapt to me. That's what being a servant of the Lord is. So the more we're exposed to scripture, the more we understand the glory of God and we can't experience the glory of God if we don't know the glory of God. Here's what Psalm 19 says about that, starting in verse seven. The instruction of the Lord is perfect, renewing one's life. The testimony of the Lord is trustworthy, making the inexperienced wise. The precepts of the Lord are right, making the heart glad. The command of the Lord is radiant, making the eyes light up. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The ordinances of the Lord are reliable and altogether righteous. I don't know about you, but I just feel better even reading that scripture, like reading that to you, to know like there's something reliable there's something that is above trends. There, there's knowledge that not is just ancient, but it's divinely inspired, it's tested, it's anointed, it's true. And I have access to, to something that is going to connect me with the divine. So this is more than just self-improvement, though self-improvement comes. This is a revelation of the glory of God. It's the sum of who God is. It's the heaviness. It's a side effect of God. It's the idea that as I get into Scripture and, and I understand Scripture, or even if I don't understand it, as I just read it, there's a presence on it, there's a power on it, there's an anointing on it. And that's exactly why it's so hard to read Scripture, because the enemy wants to keep you from it. He does. He does, but... This afternoon and tomorrow is a great time to start reading scripture. We make accessible to you every week at the five by five by five Bible reading plan that just gives you something to read. There's, there's no right way to read the Bible. Um, there's helpful places to start. But now we have these digital devices. You know, I'm carrying, and my phone's over there, but I'm carrying God's word with me all the time. I couldn't do that 25 years ago. 
And you couldn't, you know, the, the pocket Bible thing, I guess it kind of worked, but kind of didn't. And now I could never use a pocket Bible because my reading, I can't read anymore, you know. I'm, I'm, I'm resisting the spectacles, but they're coming, guys. They're coming. You know, I mean, that whole thing, like, you know, reading the word thing. So we, we have the, 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 the word, there's all kinds of ways to access the word. Don't do it just to be a good Christian. Don't access the word just so you can be qualified for church leadership. Don't even read the word because you agree with this sermon and you feel a little bit guilty. All of those may be motivation and and God may use that motivation to get you started. But read the scripture for the glory of God, the summation of who he is, the essence of who he is so that he can reveal who he is to you. Our gospel reading today is out of Mark chapter six. And in that portion, Jesus, we, we learn about Jesus calling the crowd along with his disciples. He being Jesus said to them, if anyone wants to follow after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. How can we deny what we don't know we're supposed to deny? <laughs> Right? I mean, how, how can we know how to follow God if we don't understand what he's asked us to do? So that's why regular worship so important. Come to the house of God. Get involved in a 242 group. Go to a small group. One of the best ways that you can learn the word of God, this is going to surprise some of you. Some of the best ways that you learn the word of God is to teach the word of God. What are you talking about? Everyone's like, what? No, I need to be qualified and all this. Listen, none of us are qualified by ourselves. Start teaching kids, start teaching teenagers, start doing a youth small group. And, and that rhythm, the best way often to learn is we consume information so that we can pass it along. I know that I'm a teacher also. And I guarantee you, a lot of the stuff I teach my students, I only knew about two days before, Right? Yeah, I've been given a textbook and, 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 and hope maybe two months before. Let's just do some image management real quick. <laughs> but the truth is this, is that, that we learn often best by teaching. And so God has that for you. Here, here's the last thing I want to say. God's glory keeps getting better to us. Keeps getting better to us. This is the the sum of who God is. Let me tell you what a spiritual tragedy is. A spiritual tragedy, and this is is when someone gives their life to the Lord and they settle the issue of heaven and eternity, heaven and hell. And maybe it was at a Trace Diaz retreat. Maybe it was at Alpha. Maybe it was at Young Life. Maybe it was at Youth Camp. Maybe it was at you know, we're talking about adult context here. Maybe it was at an evangelism crusade and they give their life to the Lord and then they peak spiritually right there. Like that's, that, that's the best story they have. And I believe those people will be in heaven because we don't earn salvation. It's the understanding that Jesus paid it all for us. And so I'm not being overly critical or trying to cause people to question those conversion experiences. But I'm saying this, is there's, it's God's will for there to be an ever-increasing glory in our life, like more of God in our life, more of God, more understanding, 
more understanding of who he is, more knowledge of the holy, more understanding of his personality and what he's doing and how he's working in our life, more experiences with the Lord. This is for all of us. God doesn't want our spiritual memories to be stronger than our realities today and our hopes for tomorrow. I, I love talking about the good old times, but I don't talk long about them because I be, I'll begin to idolize the good old times and not see that God is a today God and God is a tomorrow God. He's at work today and he's in work in our future and he wants to do new and great things. And so the Lord wants our appetite for him to increase more of his glory, a more of an appetite for God. This is what the scripture says in verse 10. They being the word, the instructions of the Lord are more desirable than gold, than an abundance of pure gold and sweeter than the honey dripping from a honeycomb. In addition, your servant is warned by them and in keeping them, there is an abundant reward. Who perceives his unintentional sin? Cleanse me from hidden faults. Moreover, keep your servant from willful sins. Do not let them rule me. Then I will be blameless and cleansed from blatant rebellion. I love verse 14. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable to you, Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Ever increasing glory because of the grace of God the understanding of what Jesus did on the cross. Jesus paid it all. And so he settles the issue of eternity for us. I I, I want you to know that you are saved. I want you to know that you're going to heaven. To me, that's what good preaching does. It assures us of what Jesus has done. If you sit under my preaching month after month, year after year, and you still don't think you're saved, I'm not doing a very good job. That's what I believe. So we settle this issue of whether I'm in or whether I'm out. This is not the issue. Now there is a sanctification process and God is calling us and offering us an ever increasing glory, more of him. And so we start with these basic moral choices and we, and we start making better choices following the Ten Commandments and following the things that are respectable. We want to be respectable Christians, and so we make uh, great moral choices so that uh, we actually even fit in with this new spiritual family that we have. But this is what the Lord's saying to me. It's not just enough for Aaron that I make big choices in my life. Those are good that I'm making big moral choices that make you respect me. It's the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart. And guys, I am just so brokenhearted in myself and in Christians. I just sometimes, and and I'm just gonna be honest with you, I, I sit in this very building and sometimes I'm quiet and the words that I hear out of the mouths of seasoned Christians grieve me and then the Holy Spirit points the finger to me because I'm sloppy with my language and I'm sloppy with what I say and I don't always say things that are helpful and that edify others and cynicism and criticism. All of those things matter because out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. 
Psalm 19:14 is a powerful scripture that just it feels it feels um, beautiful to us. But it's a passionate cry to God. That God, I want more of your glory. And because I want more of your glory, verse 14, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart, the things that are really deep inside of me that I think about, be acceptable to you. I, I don't want to live a life only making moral choices that make me acceptable to the community. Even though, to be fair, that is good and we should continue to do those things. But I want, I want God, I want you to know me. And I want you to know my heart. And one of the things I want to do is, is I don't want to use empty flattery to win people over and my heart not be behind it. How many know that's not acceptable to God? I can, excuse me for getting loud. I, I can charm you with my words. I can mesmerize you with compliments. I can make you feel a certain way, but my heart not be with you. And, and that's, not, that's not pleasing to the Lord because the Lord wants us to speak out of our heart. He doesn't want us to use techniques. He doesn't want us to use tricks. He doesn't want us to use trickery to try to take advantage of brothers and sisters. He wants us to live from the heart. And it's a, it's a sanctification that every single one of us in the room, we need to work on it. And we get to work on it, right? I, I condemn you not. I'm a fellow I'm a fellow sojourner with you saying, come on, come on, let's be more like Christ. Let's be more authentic. Let's let this gospel get down into our hearts and really, really change us and not play games because what happens is when we're playing games and we're only living for the outside, it's not good enough. It's not satisfying enough. It doesn't really change us. And before we know it, then, then our hearts are really far from God and nobody knows it but, but God and ourselves. Not even our spouse may know how far we're from God. Not even our best friend, not even our parent. And so it's the words of our mouth, the meditation of our heart, the stuff that we can get away with. We can get away with so much and it doesn't affect our reputation, but it does affect our, our heart with God. And that shouldn't matter. I want it to matter. Let's stand together. We're, we're called to continual sanctification through the tongue as believers. Oh, Lord, thank you that your table is open to us. Lord, Lord, we're not under rejection. The Lord wants you to know you're not under rejection. We don't give these sermons so that you can feel unqualified. We don't give these sermons so you can feel unworthy. We don't give these sermons so you can feel distant. We don't give these sermons and, and these messages from the Lord uh, so that we can push you away or we can create an exclusive club. We do that because the table of the Lord is invited and the Lord is saying, come on, all of you who misspeak, all of you who have mixed motives, all of you who continue to make the same mistakes, all of you who have faked it before, all of you who, who um, are, are, are prone to... to let your heart drift away when no one knows. Come to the table. Come to the table of the Lord. Come, come to me. Come and make yourself right. This is what weekly worship's about. We turn our hearts back to the Lord. We turn it back to the Lord. We come back to the Lord and we say, God, I want more of the sum of who you are, more of your glory in my life. And so.